blessed. That if we can just get out of his way sometimes, if we can get out the doubt, you know, if we can get our butts out of the way, right? I think it's Creflo Dollar who says that, right? If I could just get my butt out of the way, God will have the opportunity and the ability to move. And so this is the scripture. It says in Mark 4, 26, it says this. And he said, the kingdom of God, first off, let me just explain this, because we talk about the kingdom of God a lot. Uh, it's, a, it's a buzzword here at our church. And sometimes I think that we, we talk about it, but I want to make sure we have a grasp or an understanding of what that means when we're talking about the kingdom of God, okay? Because it's, it actually is something. It's not just, you know, we're Christians now, and so I guess we're living in the kingdom of God. Um, but it actually says this in, in Romans 14, it says that the kingdom of God is, right? So the scripture is about to tell us what the kingdom of God is. So this thing that Jesus has come to establish, the kingdom of God, Romans 14 says that the, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. It tells me that it's not something that's carnal. It's not something that's man-made. It's not something that is necessarily going to happen to us in the natural, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And, and again, sometimes even in those words, it can become a little bit confusing because we're like righteousness, you know? Stand up here if you're really confident that you know what the word righteous means, right? right? Okay, maybe there's one. There's one or two, okay? But this is the thing. Sometimes we hear that and we're like, yes, hallelujah, righteousness, peace, and joy. And, the, and we don't actually know what the word righteousness means. But when I looked up what the word righteousness means, it's actually very simple. It means this, that I know who I am and I am who I am. So the person that God made me to be, living out of the fullness of who God made me to be, I know who that person is, and I don't just know who I can be, I am the person that God has promised that I would be, that I'm free from sickness and disease, I'm free from lack, I'm probably, I'm the perfect person that God has destined me to be, and that's what it looks like to be the kingdom of God. How many of you say, I want that? I, I, the only version of myself that I want to be is the best me, right? I'd like to skip all the in-between versions, and I want to be the best me, and that's a part of the promise or the blessing that's available to me as I get the kingdom of God manifested in my life. So it says it's righteousness, it's peace. We just alluded to this word peace, that it means this, safe, I'm secure, and I'm prosperous, right? That's actually the Latin. That's not like some weird dictionary. It means I'm safe, I'm secure, and I'm prosperous, right? I mean, that's pretty much every area, right? That pretty much answers every question. I want that kind of peace. This isn't just like I'm peaceful so I can sleep at night, although that is part of this peace. This peace means that there's literally nothing happening in your life that would cause you any bit of turmoil whatsoever, that your life is so good, that it's so taken care of by the Lord, that there's nothing that you experience in life that removes me from my state of peace, that I'm just good all the time, right? And it says this joy, which actually just means joy. It means that in the process of knowing who I am and being who I am and being safe, secure, and prosperous, that I'm going to feel good in the journey too, right? That it's not just things are happening on the outside, but things are also happening. So that's the kingdom of God. This is what we're talking about. This is what we're striving after. It isn't just that a whole bunch of people are going to get saved, although that's, we do want that. The kingdom of God manifested in my life looks like something. It looks like that I would be the person who I knew I was always destined to be. That's good news. I mean, that's the news that Jesus, of all the news that Jesus could possibly have come to give us, he chose to give us that news because that's the best news that you can have. You can be the person who you knew, you know you were created to be, okay? And so it says this, the kingdom of God 
is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep, sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should spout and grow, he himself does not know how. That's what I want to focus on today. But one of the other things that I noticed in this is that, you know, it, it makes the statement, he doesn't know how. You know, what, the thing that I find really interesting in this is that Jesus doesn't take the next section of scripture uh, rebuking the man for not knowing how the seed grows. You notice that? And sometimes we can feel that way. We can feel like things in my life aren't working because I don't know how to get them to work. And I'm not negating the fact that there isn't wisdom and revelation in those things. It's why we teach at church and we come to church is because it's good to know, even it is that we know, we need to know that we don't need to know everything that's happening. It's good to know that, right? And I realize this, that the guy makes this statement, you know, I plant the seed in the ground and I go to sleep and I wake up and it rises. And I honestly, I don't know how it works. And you know what I was amazed is that Jesus wasn't bothered by the fact that the man didn't have a complete understanding on how things worked. He didn't try to change it. He doesn't even address the fact that the man didn't know how the seed works. It literally like he makes the statement and we just move right on past it. It's as if it never even happened. I think there's freedom in that in itself where we realize we don't have to know everything. Sometimes the enemy can get us stuck in those places where we feel like we're constantly searching for that one thing that's wrong in order to get the blessing to manifest. But here in this scripture, we realize the man didn't even know really the most significant portion of how the blessing happened. He had no idea. I mean, all he knew was I plant the seed in the ground, I go to sleep, I wake up, I go to sleep, I wake up, I go to sleep, I wake up. We know how it works. It's not just one night. How many would love that if it was one night, right? You sowed in the offering tonight, and tomorrow morning you're going to wake up with more money in your bank account. How, well, amen. It's going to happen. But he goes to sleep, and he wakes up, and he goes to sleep, and he wakes up, and he doesn't know what's happening. This whole process of really the significance of what's happening. How did the seed turn into a harvest? He doesn't know, and God doesn't care. When I read that, it challenged me, but it also freed me because I realized that in this process of the blessing, it's very little what we can do and very much what God is already planning to do in our lives. And I think that sometimes the thing that keeps us out of the blessing is we think that it's in the much that we do that's going to cause us to be blessed. But in this story, it's actually sad. It's crazy how little this farmer does in order to be blessed. And so it says that he doesn't, he himself, he plants it, does the thing, and he doesn't know how. And, and I think that this is, in, in most people's lives, this is probably one of the most frustrating facts because I think this feeling of not knowing how can really make us as people feel very powerless. You ever notice that? Like, I have things like that happen to me all the time. I'm like that. I don't like to just know that things work. I need to know how they work, right? That's why, like, in my family, I'm the tech guy, right? I could pretty much figure everything out because I actually enjoy figuring out how things work. But I think that sometimes what can happen is, is that when we don't know how to make things work, it can leave us in a state where we feel as though we're powerless. I mean, 
one of the biggest questions that I hear constantly, you know, whether it's that I'm praying for people in the altar, whether I'm doing rhema or counseling or whatever it is, just having a conversation, is so many people ask this question, how? How am I going to do it? How is it going to happen? How am I going to get free? How am I going to get out of debt? How is my body ever going to get healed? How is God going to fix my relationship? And we get so stuck on the how. But in this verse, we, we realize here that God, he doesn't even try to answer the how. And I think that sometimes this can be super frustrating. But I think that what he's trying to give us and what we're going to get into tonight is help us to realize that there is an empowerment when there's this Christian saying, when we let go and let God. That that's not just like a good Christianese saying, that there is power in understanding that. And, and so I see this, that, that, that things don't always, they, they aren't always the way that they appear, right? Because I think about this when we're talking about the seed, is that the farmer plants the seed in the ground, and it looks like nothing is happening. Like, it would be amazing if in this process that when you sowed money into the offering, let's just say it's a very easy example, that as you're putting money into the offering, an angel comes and slaps you up with a hundredfold return on, it would be really easy to believe and step into this process of sowing and reaping and understanding the blessing if we saw this immediate turnaround. But when I read about this farmer, I see very clearly that there is a season where it appears as though nothing is even happening. It says that he sows a seed in the ground and he goes to sleep and he wakes up. And then in John chapter 12, actually, it says this, that unless a seed dies, it abides alone. And so, I mean, it looks sometimes, I think if we realize that, you know, our, this isn't just natural seed, this is spiritual seed, but that sometimes things look a lot worse before they look any better. You know, that's one thing that Dr. Freitula, he's our naturopathic doctor, he came in here, did a couple of talks. That's one of the things that he tells you about natural medicine. You know, we're used to in, you know, traditional or maybe it's Western medicine, whatever you call it, I don't necessarily know, but pharmaceuticals, right? We're used to like, I take a Tylenol and it makes me feel better, right? But natural medicine, when you take it, it actually makes you feel way worse. And then somehow when you're literally in the depths of darkness, the phoenix arises and you feel like something is, this is essentially what's happening in this parable is that this man sows his seed, this thing that he would normally have eaten, he sows it into the ground. Now he can't see it any longer. Then the seed dies. And I think that sometimes this is where we can find ourselves. We find ourselves in a place where I don't know how God can use this dead seed. I don't know how. I don't know, I don't know how this can happen from here. I mean, I sowed and things got worse. You know, I did the love dare and my marriage only got worse. I prayed and it just seemed like the situation we don't, sometimes we don't know how. And I feel like this, I feel like that can be, you know, it can make us feel the ante of empowered, disempowered. And I actually remember a story of this has happened to me because I love knowing how, like I said. I remember, this was a long time ago, probably longer than I like to, I'm kind of at that age now where I don't like to tell you how long ago it was 
Because even though technically I'm young, when I say this happened 20 years ago, I was a teenager 20 years ago, right? Like, oh, that is, that is, oh, okay. So this happened to me about 20 years ago while I was a teenager. And I remember my family, we went on our, our first trip, and we, our first trip to Universal Studios. And it was an amazing trip, and they had this new ride out. It was, has anybody ever been on the Terminator 3D? Is anybody ever do that? Okay, so we did this, the Terminator 3D. And this would have been my first 3D experience. I never, didn't know 3D. I had an idea of what 3D was, but I didn't know. So you walk in and they give you this pair of glasses. Now, mind you, I wasn't your average, like, 12-year-old, okay? In my head, I was, like, six foot six, but in reality, I was, like, four foot six, Okay? But I didn't clue into that. You know, I was probably walking around, you know, Disney World with, you know, a wife beater on, you know, with shorts, because I'm thinking I'm the man. Like, I actually remember at times flexing in car windows because, like, the concavity of the window made my arm look big. And I'm thinking, this is, I look good in this because I'm so big here, right? So this is who we're talking about. And so I go into this Terminator 3D, and I'm not going in as a scaredy cat. I'm going in as, you know, the Hulk, right? macho man and I get in there and we put the glasses on and it was bad it was a bad experience instantly this macho man I I I, this is actually what happens the thing happens if you haven't been this is a spoiler alert it's old now so they probably don't have it anymore but there's this iron spider or like a metal spider and it like swoops its big arm now mind you I've never been in 3d before and so I literally soiled my pants, right? Not literally, that's a joke. No. Figuratively. It actually could have happened, I'm not sure. But I remember for the rest of the time, I, the rest of the time, I appeared as though I was enjoying what was happening, but I had my glasses just down far enough that the screen looked fuzzy, right? But then obviously to save face, when I got out, I was like, oh my God, that was so amazing. We need to ride that again, right? But why? What happened? Because I didn't understand what was happening. I couldn't engage in the process. Because I didn't understand that this 3D arm, I also was short and dumb, okay? I didn't understand that this 3D arm couldn't actually get me, right? Because you think, right, that when I took my glasses off and I got fuzzy, that I could put them back on and enjoy the thing because I realized this is just a fuzzy screen. But I couldn't because I didn't understand how. And I think that sometimes maybe you have not gone through a funny experience like that, but I think that in all of our lives, we've experienced those things. You've had your figurative Terminator 3D experience where you didn't necessarily know how things were happening. You didn't necessarily know what was going to happen. And so because of that, you removed yourself from the potential of what that could have been. I'm sure that that was a great ride. To this day, I don't know if it was any good, but I'm sure it was amazing. Could have literally changed my life. Like maybe I would have become a Terminator myself. But I'll never know because I didn't experience it. And I think that in our life, we can do that. When it comes to finances, when it comes to healing, when it comes to relationships, because we can't understand how God is going to change the situation, I just end up removing myself. 
Or maybe it's not that. Maybe it's that we've experienced the disappointments. Maybe it's that we tried it in the past, and because maybe we, you know, we planted our seed, and then we dug it up and ate it, right? It didn't produce a harvest, and then we were like, why God didn't it harvest? And God was like, you ate your seed, right? But maybe that was it. Maybe we experienced the disappointment. Maybe it was that it didn't work, and it, it didn't work. It didn't happen. Maybe the relationship didn't happen. Maybe you didn't end up getting healed. I don't necessarily know what it was, but what these things do is, is they, they remove us from the process of being able to be blessed because we don't understand how God is going to use this. How can I put $5 in the offering and God is going to use that to change my... I don't understand how, and so I remove myself from the process. And so we all have these moments in our life. We all have these opportunities. We're all, as we sit and we talk about this, and as we spend the next number of weeks talking about the blessing, it's ultimately an invitation. It's not so much information, but it's God inviting us into a promise. It's God inviting us into an experience. And as you sit and listen to these messages, the message itself isn't going to change us, but it's when we, like this farmer, choose to step outside of needing to know how things work and step into a place of believing. And so this is what it says, <clears throat> the scripture in, in Mark chapter 4. It says this, I'm just going to finish the scripture. It says, for the earth yields crops of itself, first the blade, then the head, after that the full grain in the head. But when the, grape, when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And so what I want to do is I want to give us three quick points so we can understand how to break down this scripture to continually put ourselves in the right place in order for us to constantly be uh, aware of or constantly be focused on the blessing. And so the very first thing that we have to do is we have to trust the process. <clears throat> And verse 26 says it like this, that the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. And so from that, I, I understand one very specific thing, is that this farmer, this isn't like seed in this context isn't just like, it's not like bubbles, you know, where we just like blow bubbles and they don't really matter because they don't, seed to this farmer is his food, it is his life. And so one of the things that I become aware of in this passage of scripture is that he honestly believes that when he plants this seed, it's going to harvest the crop, right? Because if he wasn't sure of that, he wouldn't sow it, right? Like if you were to go in a natural example, if you have somebody who lives in a desert, people who live in the desert aren't trying to grow lawns, right? Because they understand that the soil isn't right in order for us to be able to grow a lawn and so because of that, I'm not going to waste my seed by sowing it somewhere that's not going to produce a harvest. Is, is, you understanding? You see in the parallel here? That the very first thing that I have to do in order to live in the blessing is I have to honestly believe that I can live in the blessing. Okay? And that's truthfully, like even in my own life, like if I could be honest with you, even in my own life, there are moments, right? And I'm sure we all have these moments where like things are happening, like maybe you're getting ready to sow a big seed. And you know, this is like, okay, Lord, this is money. And then you have this like momentary flash through your brain, like, what am I doing? Right? You ever had that before? 
like you're like making confessions over your body, you know, and you have a moment where you're like, what, 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 what is happening right now, right? But what happens is what is that so often what we can do is because we don't necessarily trust the process, we shy away from putting ourselves in a place where we can actually and honestly harvest the kind of promise that we're believing God to harvest, right? Like maybe, you know, we scatter a little bit of seed, you know, like maybe, you know, you know, I, I toss a couple bucks into the offering and that's, you know, that's cool, right? But what is that evidence to in my own life? It would be evidence to the fact that I honestly don't trust the process. Well, it would be true in our, if we saw a farmer doing this, right? Like a farmer has a huge, like hundred acre farm, you know, and he just sows like three or four seeds, right? You'd be like, dude, like, do you not, is something wrong with your soil? Like, if, did something happen? Like, what's going on? Why aren't you utilizing the full force of what you have? But it's that he doesn't trust his soil. It's that sometimes we have to come to this place where I realize that the, the, it's so important for me to constantly put myself in a place where I'm challenging myself to believe that this, the blessing of God, it actually works. That when I sow seed into the ground, it's honestly going to produce a harvest for me. That when I release the word of God over my physical body, it's honestly going to change things. It might not happen today. It might not happen tomorrow. But the principle holds true. Just like a man sows a seed in the ground, when he sows a seed in the ground, he's guaranteed a harvest. You're guaranteed the harvest if we will sow. And so this is the thing. The very first step when we trust the process is we have to do business with the doubt. You've got to do business with any area in your life where you see doubt happening. Right? That moment when you, you're getting ready to put the, op, the offering in the offering bucket. That, the moment where, you know, you feel the Lord telling you to stop taking your, your medication, whatever it is that's happening in your life. What I've got to do business with the doubt. Because the doubt is the thing that will keep me back from the blessing. Doubt is the enemy to the blessing. Doubt is your enemy. So number two, I need to trust in the person. Verse 27 says it like this, talking about the farmer, and should sleep, sleep by the night and rise by the day, and the seed should sprout and grow, and he himself doesn't know how. And I realized from this is that basically what this passage of scripture is telling me that this farmer is He's just chilling, you know? Like he's just out there in the cool of the day, sitting back on his, you know, rocking chair, sipping a cold glass of, you know, lemonade, right? He's just chilling. He's relaxed. But, you know, I thought about this. If, if the farmer wasn't confident in the fact that the seed was going to grow, I think the farmer's posture would be very significantly different. Like, he would be out, you know, hovering over, you know, petting them and, you know, talking to, making sure that everything is good. Why? He wouldn't be sitting back relaxing. He would be in a constant state of work. Why? Because he doesn't trust what's happening. The second thing we have to do is we have to trust in the person. Because if I'm sowing seeds that I need to live, like if I'm stepping out and we're talking about the blessing, like we're talking about God asking us and inviting us to do something that's beyond what we naturally, you know, could maybe think is possible. 
I have to know that I could trust in the person who's established the process. I have to know that if I'm not going to be the one who's watching out over my seeds, I need to know that I could trust the guy who has been sent to watch over my seeds. I can only rest when I know that somebody else is watching over my blessing. I think that's why the scripture tells us that we have to labor to enter into the rest, right? That sometimes we can think that, you know, we just labor. And I think that there is a season of that where we're kind of just laboring as we're learning. And then the scripture says, you know, we need to labor to enter into the rest. And it seems like kind of like an oxymoron, you know? Like, how do I work to rest? It doesn't necessarily make... But what the scripture is talking to us about in this is, is that the work that we do in faith and the work that we do in the blessing isn't that we labor to get things done. Because sometimes we could forget that that's not the way that it works. What I do is I labor to enter into the rest. And what is the rest? The rest is that I know, I know that I know that I know that God is actually going to do everything that he said he was going to do. And that is my process of laboring. That is the work that I do. I'm not trying to work to get results. I'm trying to work to believe that God is in my future and he's prospering my way. And so the, the second thing that I have to understand is that I have to know that I can trust God. I have to know that I can trust him to watch out over my seed so that I can sit back and rest and let him do his work. I think that, you know, Creflo Dollar made this statement. I heard in one of his teachings from years ago. He said that God must love it when we're sleeping. Because when we're sleeping, it's like he can finally get something done. Because sometimes we can spend all of our daytime stressing out about making sure God does what he wants us to do, and he can't do anything. Why? Because he can only work when we're resting. And so to harvest the seed, I have to know all right, God, I can release this. I can let this go because I trust you. Jeremiah 1 says this, that he watches his word to perform it. That while we're resting, while we are trusting, God is watching. And the third thing that we have to do is we have to trust in ourselves, Because sometimes I think this can be kind of funny when we talk about things like this. But the reality is, is that it's, this process isn't just God. I would love it if it was just God because that would be amazing. Right, like we could just come here and sit down and God just does it. He just like pours the blessing in. I would love that. But this process is a cooperation between God and me. That there is a part that God does, absolutely. He does the heavy lifting. Well, he did the heavy lifting 2,000 years ago when Jesus died. He is such done lifting, and he is also resting in heaven. But I have a part to play in this, albeit small. I have a part to play but one of the main things that, that I have noticed is, it, let me say it like this. You're going to know what you need to know when you need to know it. You know, that statement has brought me so much freedom. 
Because one of the things in human nature, and, and I think that this is for good in some areas, but sometimes we could be our own worst critic. That we constantly think that we're not gonna know what we need to know when we need to know it. And so that can produce in us this constant state of second-guessing ourselves. Is it the right time? Is it the wrong time? Should I go or should I stay? Should I buy? Should I sell? Should I do? Should I, should I? And one of the things that I realized this in verse 28, it says it like this. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. This farmer knows exactly what he needs to do, exactly when he needs to do it. The reason I said this, that we need to trust in ourselves, is not that we are our own source. Don't get me wrong, I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. And I'm sure that you understand that. But it is that in your moment to play your part, in your moment to do your thing, because a lot of the times the blessing of God doesn't necessarily look, although I heard a testimony recently about somebody just getting a check in the mail. And I'll take it. I mean, everybody knows what to do with a check in the mail, right? I, hey, you don't need to, this doesn't take much work to figure out what to do when you get a check in the mail, right? You give it to your wife and she spends it, right? So, <laughs> that's true. I love you, honey. I hope she's not in here. Is she in here? No, she's not. Don't tell her I said that. But a lot of the times, the blessing of God looks like things that we don't necessarily think they're going to look like. And if we don't trust ourselves that we're going to know what to do and when to do it, sometimes what can happen to us is we can miss out on the very blessing that we've been crying out to God to do. And I think that for a lot of people, that simply comes from a place where we don't validate who we are. I mean, that's what taking it back to the kingdom of God, why it's so important, I believe, why he said the righteousness is first, is because it's very, very important in the kingdom of God that we understand who we are. Because a lot of times we can see ourselves for our shortcomings, we can see ourselves for our failures, we can see ourselves for all the times that we got it wrong. But the kingdom of God is all about understanding not who I was, not what I have done, but who I am. And when I understand who I am, I realize that it's not just me. How many of you would say, thank God, it's not just me? That when I make decisions and when things are happening and when there are thoughts that are going through my mind, it's not just me. The scripture says it like this, that the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is living, active. He abides on the inside of me. That when I need to know something, I can expect that I would know the answer. So I can trust in myself, not because I think that I'm going to have the answer, but I can trust in myself because I know who I am and I know who is in me. And so when the process comes, the moment comes, like the farmer in the story, he knows exactly what to do with the harvest. He knows exactly what it looks like. He knows exactly what it smells like. He knows exactly what it tastes like. And so when the opportunity arises, he knows exactly what to do because he trusts himself. He trusts what he knows. He trusts who he is. He trusts his experiences. He trusts what he's been taught. He trusts what he's learned. 
And so too often, I think that what happens to us in these scenarios is that we're waiting for a sign from heaven. You know, I like signs, and I think it's cool when we get signs, and that's cool, you know? Like, when God wants to just, like, slap a sign in my way, I'm like, yo, Jesus, just do it. Like, I like things to be easy, right? That's why I love the, the prophetic gifting that I flow in is because I don't even really have to try. I just see, like, an angel pop out from the wall, and it's like, wow, awesome. Easy. Like, I like the things that are easy, right? But sometimes we always are looking for a sign. We're always looking for God to show up and do something magnificent in order for us to know the way. But the scripture tells me that I'm not led by the signs. But I'm led by what? The, the inward witness, the still small voice on the inside of me. But what I have to learn what it feels like to trust what God has put on the inside of me. That I'm not second guessing. I'm not doubting. What? Because the very thing that makes it faith is the fact that I don't know how it's going to happen. The very, I mean, that's what the definition of faith is. It's believing in something that I cannot see. That when I can't see it, it doesn't look like anything is happening. It should be an indication to me that that means that something is happening. I mean, I think that sometimes it's changing my perspective. Like when I hear people talking about they're going through a dry season, right? And I think about that. Maybe it's not actually a dry season. Maybe just the seed has gone underground and you can't see it right now, but it's incubating and it's growing and it's processing that the very thing that you say is a dry season is actually God setting you up for more. Maybe the fact that you can't pay your bills this month is because God is setting you up for a blessing because this is what we believe. This is what a farmer experiences. He sows his food into the ground. He sows what he has. He gives what he has because he believes more in what he can't see than the little that he can see. That is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not moved by situations or circumstances. It's not moved by whether it's up or it's down. It's not moved by how it looks or how it feels. The kingdom of God is seeing without seeing. It is believing without needing the physical evidence. And so I want to just take a second because I believe that in every one of these new seasons, which God is always opening doors for us to go into new seasons, I believe that maybe with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, I just want us to take a moment because I believe that when God is inviting us into something new, there are things in our past that we just have to let go of. You know, I think about it like this, that if you're carrying a big backpack, you know, you could make it through a double wide set of doors and, you know, maybe you could make it through like a, you know, a, a big single door. But eventually if that hallway keeps on narrowing, eventually you're going to have to take that pack off. You know, maybe it's not a physical backpack that's holding you back from the blessing. But maybe it's that unforgiveness that you've been holding on to. Maybe it's that anger or that frustration that you've been holding on to. Maybe it's that situation that didn't work out. Maybe it's that problem or that relationship. Maybe it's that time that you felt like God let you down. I don't necessarily know what it is, but I know that when God is asking us to step into something new, it requires us to leave something behind. And so I want to do that, if you wouldn't mind, just for two seconds. Let's just ask the Holy Spirit that question. So just say, Holy Spirit, 
Is there anything that's holding me back from my blessing? that picture, that situation that he brought you to, I just want you to simply say this. Just say, Jesus, I invite you into this memory. Now you're either going to see him, you're going to feel him. Maybe the memory is going to get brighter. Anything that changes is an acknowledgement that Jesus is there. And when he gets there, I want you to ask him one simple question. Say, Jesus, tell me When he tells you that, I want you just to see a picture of yourself. You're just taking off that backpack and you're just laying it at Jesus' feet. Now say this. You say, Holy Spirit, show me a picture of my future.